Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, Lars Lindstrom here. Just want to take a second and thank you guys so much for um, listening to the first episode. Uh, it went better than I was anticipating. I think I, I held off so long on starting the podcast because I was just afraid of perfection. Um, and I realized that was super dumb and that perfection doesn't exist. And I'll just kind of figure this out as we go, uh, which means I would love suggestions. I would love input. I'd love advice. Please reach out. Um, I, I hear that subscribing helps uh, ratings. I hear that reviewing uh, the podcast helps ratings. So if you genuinely are getting something out of it, and I hope you do, um, then I, I would love a review. Um, if you aren't getting something out of it, why are you listening, first of all? Second of all, uh, thank you for continuing to listen. Um, if you wouldn't mind reaching out and providing some feedback on why you're not enjoying the show and I can try and uh, curate it in a special way. Um, anyway, no, I'm, I'm really excited. We'll figure this out. Uh, I am introducing Mike Miller. Mike Miller I've known for a little over a decade now. He's been in the, the film industry for um, well over 30 years as an editor primarily, but he also directs commercials. Uh, he, he is a 50% um, owner of a company, MWP. Uh, they mostly specialize in post-production. Uh, but one thing that you're going to just... Uh, here and probably relate to quite a bit is how much over the last 30 years, probably three decades of Mike's career, he's had to pivot and change directions with his business. He's been very successful uh, and he's had some some down years where he had to maybe downsize the office. Um, and it's just very interesting to hear his perspective on how the industry changes, uh, investing in the industry uh, and then investing outside of the industry. Um, Mike also has real estate. I don't have real estate. This isn't really a real estate podcast, but I, I do find the value in it, uh, for different people, different times of the real estate market. Um, but he's just a fascinating person to listen to, has unbelievable knowledge and is just a warm, kind person. So enjoy the episode. Mike Miller, thank you so much for being here on uh, creative income. Uh, I've known you for probably close to probably eight, nine years, something like that. Yes, although I did know you when you were just uh, a little kid running around in in Duarte. Yeah, but you didn't realize that I knew you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, cause I actually I knew your daughter, uh, and we kind of worked in the same spaces, and we went to church together, and right. and so that was kind of how I then met you, and and kind of got to know a little bit about what you do. Uh, so what do you do? Uh, I'm a director, uh, com editor for commercials, television commercials. We own a, a production company and post-production facility called Miller Wishing Grad, um, MWP for production, post, or parties, whatever we feel like that day. Um, and uh, I've been editing for about, oh, over 30 years since, um, 93, actually 91. So that's even 35 years. When was the first Avid system? Was it about that? It was 95? It was much later. Yeah, I actually started on a uh, Moviola. So that, that dates me now, yes. Yes. I, when, I, when I saw... I don't even know what that is, Mike. <laughs> it's, a cult, it's an upright. It's an upright uh, machine. And editors, we loved them because the viewer space was literally four and a half uh, inches uh, in diameter. And we okay. could only see it. So you had, we had to get happy before we showed anyone. And no one, there was no, no input. Yeah. No one was telling us what to do until we actually showed you something. Um, 
and I had a handbrake and your thumb would run through the gears and get caught and bleed all over the place. So uh, it was before flatbeds and you know, then we went to the camps. Yeah, you, it, there's one in a museum somewhere and I hope you see it someday. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't think back on my fond memory with uh, Mike when he talked me about this film for, for the first over. time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, so you started, so that was uh, when you started editing, but when did, you, when did you start your production company? The production company, we, um, we, Miller Wishing Grad, we started in about 92. And um, shortly after then, we would do pickup shots for certain people. I remember one of the first things was I was working on a Nestle project and they needed a shot. And uh, I could tell they were having a hard time putting it together. And I just said, I can do this, it's real easy. So we just, uh, um, I had a friend who was a DP. We got together and we started doing pickup shots. And then that evolved to being in production meetings or, pre or creative meetings and agencies having issues with how do we do this, how do we do that? And I just stuck my neck out and said, I can, I can do this for you. I feel like every time I've ever talked to you, that's, that's kind of the story of today. Yeah. It's just like, I, yeah, I just grabbed a 5D or camera, small camera, and I went down and grabbed this shot that they were having a hard time mm -hmm. getting. And, and that was on film. We, we were shooting okay. on, uh, on uh, Aries. Uh, yeah, back then, back then <laughs> uh, right? The 5D wasn't a, yeah. wasn't a thing, yeah. So um, even before, though, you started editing, I think you had started in sound. Uh, talk to me about sound. your, your kind of your, your uh, okay. career. Even, even yeah, I, I was always interested in sound. Um, uh, the very first time I ever saw a reel-to-reel -reel, um, uh, recording device, uh, recorder, I just was amazed. And I was young. I was probably uh, eight or nine, and someone brought over a portable reel-to-reel -reel device, and I just couldn't believe that you could actually record what we're doing now digitally, but actually on a physical magnetic strip. And uh, I was amazed. Um, and then when cassettes came out and then eight tracks, I was the first one on my block to have an eight track. I think I paid more for an eight track than my whole car because uh, I had to have that technology. Um, and I had a friend who, who had an eight track machine and you could record your own albums. And so I was doing that all the time. But to re recording sound and, and audio was, was um, I loved the radio. I always wanted to work in radio. And that was my, my first career choice was um, I, I thought I wanted to be a, a disc jockey and, uh, and get paid to play music. I thought that would be kind of fun. And so I kind of pursued that and got a couple jobs in radio stations and, and then realized I actually enjoyed uh, the production, slicing the, the audio tape and making the commercials for the radio station as much as I did being on air. Uh, matter of fact, being on air, I realized uh, one morning I was I had a two to six a.m. shift, and I was giving away tickets to a concert, and no one called, which told me no one was listening, which told me why am I sitting here? And uh, I kind of fell out of love with that, so I I, uh, I decided to go back and and get into my my next uh, um, career choice or, or love, and that was film or television, and so, but I did I, I enjoyed. Uh, post-production in in radio stations I, I like making the commercials and so uh, I didn't realize that it would be a career but I did I did uh, realize I, I, I like that something uh, I've noticed about you and your and you telling the stories that you always seem to know when to pivot into 
uh, a different career choice, or but they all kind of rhyme. They all have very similar uh, paths. Talk to me about the last 40 years and, and how you've been able to adapt to changes and, uh, and evolve. Well, most, most of the evolution was um, lack of interest. I would fall out of love with whatever I was doing after four or five months because it was like, okay, now I understand it. What else is, is, is going to keep me interested? Mm. And so literally, I remember thinking... You know, I've never had a job longer than six months in my whole life. I mean, I've had, I'll do it for three months or four months, and but never a year, never. And I actually thought I'll, I'll never have a normal job because I can't stay focused. Um, and when I found editing and when I found um, Ace and Edie, I, I actually uh, decided to uh, um, learn from a genius. And that was, I wanted to be his apprentice. Uh, and I like the idea of apprenticeship. And I found Jim Edwards and I thought, okay, he's the guy I'm going to learn from. I'm going to learn from Jim. And when I threw myself in, I thought, well, I'll work here a year or two until I figure it out and then I'll do something else. I worked in Jim's company for nine years. Wow. And that told me I not only was I completely in love with editing, but the challenges and demands and the creative um, I mean, highs you would get by working on these campaigns. And it was an adrenaline rush. The pace we were on, we were turning out campaigns every two or three weeks. And it was like, you just finished one and something else would come in. And the technology would evolve every two or three years. So we went from an upright to a flatbed to a, um, then offline and then digital, uh, the Editroid system and then the Avid. And it, was, it still is amazing what, what, what every two years, every, oh, the technology completely changed. Do you think that helped in your evolution? It, it helped in my, in staying focused and yes, I like this. I finally found something that is changing quicker than my um, concentration can, can uh, it, it changes before I can get bored. I, I'll never be bored in technology. Yeah. I, we, we were into animation. We started, we were doing a lot of commercials at the time with animation and one of my, Jeff's friend, my partner, Jeff, um, he approached us and said, you're doing so much animation, why don't we start an animation company? Which we did. We started Acme Filmworks, which is a, it's still, it's still in existence today. Ron Diamond still runs it. And um, the animation, uh, we were, we, I think um, at one time, and that led into special effects, which I've also always loved. And we had a special effects company. I think the first time we had the special effects company, we paid $20,000 for a license for a, uh, a Maya license. And now, wow. everything that we did on, well, not that was 3D, but, but uh, almost everything, um, you know, you can, you can get a license for that for a couple hundred dollars now yeah. for the whole year. And so, yeah, the, the, the economics of it is just makes it so accessible for anyone, a student uh, to, to whoever's working on... Um, <laughs> the latest uh, animation feature is, is working pretty much on the same day. Has that hurt your career? The uh, accessibility it, now? It, it, well, it would have hurt it had the technology, like we bought a Henry for 2D uh, and we paid $975,000 for it. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't um, even know what that is, the Henry, I've never heard of Henry that. The Henry was a compositor and it was a very, uh, it was, uh, Quantel made it. 
And it was very elementary if you look back on it. It was like, imagine After Effects and you really, you could have ultimate layers, but you only usually worked with four or five. Mm. And you would then composite and then make a group and then composite that on. And then make another make three mats. or four or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But at the time, and it was it was standard def. That's what blows me away now. Mm. I mean, I look at standard def and it was like, it's such an inferior format. It's mm -hmm. so ugly and so grainy and so... And yet we thought we were doing just beautiful art our whole lives when we were doing it. And now I look at standard definite, it's like, oh, it's just so, it's just ugly. But um, had the technology, we barely paid it off. I think there was one payment that by the time it literally was junk, couldn't give it away. There was someone who wanted it in South America and, and they wouldn't pay for shipping. So it's like, I'm not going to ship it. So I think I actually donated it. But, um, and it would have, it would have hurt us. Had it changed just a year prior, had we got caught, but we just luckily, it just kind of fizzled out right at the end of the lease. Has so. that been more or less the case for everything in the industry? Pretty much. I mean, we had uh, sound editors, uh, again, SSL, we had sound editors oh, that wow. we paid way too much for, $120,000 just to edit sound. I mean, yeah, if you look like back the ADF, AWS 900 or whatever, so yeah. Uh, yeah they, were, they were these beautiful, um, um, SSL had these uh, sound, uh, sound, I can't even remember the name of them, but they were. These audio boards. Yeah, yeah but they're all, all digital and had mm -hmm. computer displays, and it was beautifully done, but, but the amount of money. Editroids were very expensive when we first uh, got into it. Uh, you know, uh, we had four of them, and uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars we had invested in, in laser-based technology that three years later was no one used. So we were lucky enough, I think, just to, we, we got in early enough that, that we got out of it just in time, but we never made money on the technology. Okay. So I think, I think it was years and years and years. Um, we probably didn't have machines that were actually paid off until like the last uh, eight or nine years. So your, your business then, the equipment hasn't necessarily been a way to make money. It's a means to, to create a product that right. then yeah. you can make money from the agency, correct? Yeah. And... and uh, Jeff and I were just joking about a, um, a story uh, yesterday. Uh, we were doing a Disney campaign for Disneyland, and uh, the creative director came over and said, and stood next to the Editroid, which was this was George Lucas who invented the Editroid. Okay, and, and George uh, did it for his movies, and we were the only commercial editors at the time that were using him. There was another set in Detroit, and the creative director said, stood next to it and talked to his clients and said, "This is the reason we're here: is the Editroid." Wow. And the producer for Disneyland was very smart and stood up and said, no, actually, the reason we're here is Jeff Wishingrad, who knows how to utilize the technology and run the Editroid, and he actually puts it together. The machine doesn't do it automatically. Yeah. But it's perception. You know, some people like, oh, they go because they, they oh, the Editroid there, the Avid's there. No longer, nobody cares what you work on now. I mean, you can work on... Avid or Premiere or no, Funka Pro, nobody cares. Nobody yet. comes because you're using a piece of material, and that's the way it really should be. Mm -hmm. I think people should go for creativity and and for ideas and for talent, and never go because. And the joke for years, I um, I had a producer who said, "Well, there's a box in New York that'll do that," <laughs> and and she would just say that, and and then she'd turn to me after she said, "Is it? Can we do it?" And I go, "Yeah, that we can do it." She goes, "Okay." And she would just joke. She goes, you know, but that was her standard line. No, there's a box. There's a box that can do that. Somewhere there's a box that can yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and really what it is, it's not a box. It's two, one or two people who are very smart. They know how to do it, and they get together and figure it out, whether it be animation, you know, visual effects, or, or, or just 
telling the story. So what sort of campaigns has MWP done? When we first started, uh, Jeff and I were car guys. Hmm. We were, we were uh, at the time, I had, I, had, I had cut my teeth on Ford. My first seven years, I worked on all the Ford campaigns, and uh, I love cars. I, if I could do, I just finished a Honda spot two months ago. I'm still very comfortable in that arena. I love cars. I love sheet metal. And <laughs> um, it was actually because of sheet metal that um, I was working with Donor um, and doing a pitch for Mazda. They were, uh, we had, I had worked on the campaign when Footcone Building had it. It was up for review, and Donor, a very uh, small independent agency in Detroit, was going after it the dark horse in the race. And uh, I spent two weeks in Detroit working with oh, 30 or 40 people from all over. And they won the award. And, um, and, uh, and then usually if you work on a pitch, the unwritten rule is you will be working on the campaign. And a month or two later, I saw a spot on the air and it was, I wasn't connected to it. I hadn't, I hadn't cut it. I hadn't, I hadn't seen the boards. And so I picked up the forum and called the, uh, creative uh, and the executive producer and say, hey, what's up? And, he, and they said, oh, sorry, uh, we have another client that we have in mind for you. And I said, oh, well, you can't have another car. What's what's going on? And they said, oh, it's it's a fashion. Okay. And I said, I don't do I don't do retail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how ridiculous my self image was at the time. I said, I don't, I don't do retail. Uh, I, I do national brands. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, no, this is, a, this is a client. It's a national account, but it's fashion. And I thought, I, I don't know anything about fashion. And, uh, and yet, uh, the very first shoot I went to, I think they, they had some um, Ford models there and some people from Brazil and some people from the Eastern Bloc, and I fell in love with fashion in about two minutes. <laughs> it, was like, wow. it was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. I know nothing about shoes or whatever, but, you know, a story is a story. So I worked on that campaign. Uh, it was May Company and then turned into Macy's, and that took me down a seven-year road with them. And uh, so we were exposed to that. And, and we've worked on um, medical and uh, a, lot of, a lot of fast food. Uh, I was privileged enough to work on Taco Bell uh, way, way back, but then also Jack in the Box but, um, with Hispanic on the Hispanic side and, um, and uh, Carl's Jr. for years and years. And, uh, so huge campaigns. Huge, huge. Um, the, the ones with Carl's Jr. and, and uh, Jack in the Box actually were for the Hispanic audience. Okay. You worked in the golden age of advertising. The 90s, in my mind, that's because I, I did not grow up in the 90s. I mean, I grew up in the 90s, but I wasn't shooting in the 90s. So this is, this is the time where, you know, a Honda commercial maybe had a $1.2 million budget. Yeah, you know, even so. the 80s, the mid-80s yeah. and late 80s, the car campaigns would, would be hundreds of thousands. And, and if, if you did a campaign, it would be, uh, it could be a million dollars. Sure. sure. Yeah. So what, talk to me about this feast or famine mentality and, and then, uh, and then we'll kind of segue into how the industry's changed for you. Well, that's probably one of the reasons I like the, the sheet metal and car campaign is that the budgets were so large that if anything you needed to tell the story, they were usually open to do it. Uh, not always on the post end, but I could see it on the production end. I mm-hmm. mean, they would just, uh, they would just pull out everything to shoot and get any, do anything for a shot. Uh, Felix Alcala would be uh, strapped to the end of a 
uh, an arm, literally, and then they would move the arm over the car. This is before the Russian arm, so they had to figure out how to get that shot, <laughs> and he would risk his life, literally risk his life, you know, being strapped and, 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 and being moved around the car. And as we were watching the dailies, it was, it, he'd turn to him and say, how did, how did you get that shot? And then he'd show us pictures, and he'd go, you're nuts, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was. <laughs> luckily, it, you know, luckily it didn't uh, do him any harm, but more, I, the, there were so many... Wonderful, and, and, and everybody was with like, well, let's, why not? Let's do it. Um, why, let's throw a truck out of an airplane and, and let it open with a parachute. Okay. Let's, let's have a helicopter come over and pick up a car and change the tires in the midair and do it practically. Should, yes, you cover yourself with a crane and everything like that, but no, there is a shot where the helicopter comes in with a huge magnet or a faux magnet and, uh, and picks it up. I mean. Just the idea of trying now with special effects, you know, you can do anything, you you don't need to do all those things. But back then, I mean, some of the things we were doing, and it would cost a lot of money. I think on the on the on the one where the where the truck went out of the of the car, uh, the first two fails. No, the airplane. (laughs) The truth. Do you remember what truck it was? I think it was Ford, and I don't know if it was the F-150, but it was a pickup. And, and um, the first two, two takes, and we're laughing in dailies just because it's so sad. We're laughing and crying. <laughs> brand and new car. The, 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 the man jumps out, and he, the cinema car jumps out, and, he, and then the, car, the truck uh, goes out the back, and all of a sudden it gets wrapped up and, and completely demolishes. And, and it's got a it's great film, but no one can use it for the commercial. And the wow. third one, it finally opened. Well, I, they only had three prototypes, so had they not figured it out on the third one, no commercial. It would have been done. So and it takes a lot of courage and guts, for, you know, to do that. I mean, those those people involved in those, I mean, they just, you know, let's do it. Yeah. So my, my I guess the, the golden age of advertising, you know, you had, let's say, a million dollars because you were competing against, you know, a third of the population of the world on, you know, one of these three networks. But now you've got... 500 options for them. So, yeah. so you, you take this million dollar budget you have for a campaign and you somehow have to break that up over 500 networks. And so how has that changed the budgets now for campaigns or, or ads? Well, I think the budgets now are, for that reason, the exact reason you talked about, it's like um, because there's more places to be able to tell your story, the streaming story um, is just as effective, if not more effective, hmm. For your demographic, because um, it's targeted, but but with a razor sharp target. Yeah, I, I just bid something that they are going to spend two or three million dollars on a gaming format to advertise on the gaming format because their demo is exactly twenty two to twenty eight year old young men. Yeah, and 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 those are the, those men are the only ones playing this game. There's very few females who play the game who even buy it. And if they buy it, they're buying it for their boyfriend. They don't want anything to do with it. So to be able to concentrate and really focus on that, that's, that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So they'll spend two or three million there. On we'll, the ad spend, not on, not on the... No, it's everything. It's okay, everything. Yeah, so I think yeah. the media buy was maybe, maybe 80% of that. Okay. Um, yeah. and, um, but I think, it's, I think it's effective. I mean, I'm surprised now. I actually, uh, sometimes I'll play a, a game on my phone to clear my mind for 10 or 15 minutes and all of a sudden uh, to get bonus points or another life, I'll, I'll watch an ad for 15 seconds. And it's like, how the heck did they figure that out? Yeah. And it's very effective. I've actually purchased two things off that, me as a consumer. Well, that's amazing. And yeah. it's very inexpensive for them to do that. Uh-huh. So yes, everything's changed. 
Everything's changed, and it will continue to change. Um, we fought streaming. We fought it for a while. This meaning we wouldn't look at it as a viable. Now we're engaged. We're 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 creating, and the way we're evolving is is not only do we do production and post production, and you know visual effects and animation, all those things. We now are helping companies come up with their ideas for streaming. As another pivot, that's something you've had to evolve and adapt to. Why? Because uh, we we saw a need. And we heard we heard about companies uh, needing um, ideas, and and they've actually had the opportunity was this: we we were listening, and we heard that, that a company had already gone out and shot an ad, it wasn't working, and they didn't have any more money to shoot something else. So we said, let's let's see what you have. We would recreate an idea around the footage they already have. So they already have the content. They already have the content. They've already spent their money on the content and they're not yeah. happy uh-huh. because they missed the mark or they told their own wrong story. And usually usually opportunities come with uh, a problem solving. Uh, so we look at it and we say, okay, good. We're gonna retell your story. We're gonna use 80% of what you have. We're going to maybe shoot another shot or, or literally take two images and put them next to each other and create a whole new uh, idea with what you have. And yes, maybe we'll pick up a stock shot or go out and shoot something, but don't worry about that. We got 5Ds. And and help them. (laughs) We got cannons. And help them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then then it's like, oh my gosh, well, if you help them in an issue or a problem, then the next time they'll actually think of you as, hey, can we help you? Can you help us with this next idea, this next campaign? So first we go into to companies that, that have had problems or issues in the streaming world um, and solved, it, solved their problem and then, and then said, listen, just think of us as an option when you go forward. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of companies who jump in, they get burned because it's not, it's not 100% guaranteed that if you spend your money on your budget, you are going to reach your audience. Yeah. So they, they do it, they tell the wrong story, they put it on the wrong uh, media buy, and now, now their they're whole campaign budget's blown and, they, and they're upset and they go, well, that's it. We're not going to advertise anymore. No, let's just do it differently and, and help you succeed. You do that, you help a company succeed. That's how you build relationships. And it's old fashioned relationships. And that's one thing I do love about this business. You know, we don't, we, we sign a contract very rarely. Um, it's, it's word of mouth, handshake, handshake over the phone and 50% up front and 50% when you're done or something like that. And, uh, I don't know very many other businesses that really have that much relationships in a, in a verbal handshake. And I like that. Hmm. I like that. I don't like it when it goes away. I have been burned a couple of times, but, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe 2% of the people in the world who are like that. And we just don't work with those people. Yeah. So, so you started your own business now you're, you're 50% owner, third owner of uh, Jeff and I are 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. Okay. So talk to me about some of the, obviously there's, there, every year was successful for you? Every, every month was successful for you? Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I never wanted to be a business owner uh, on this side. I've always, been a, I've always had small businesses you know, growing up, um, but I never really thought I would be a, an owner of a post-production or a production company. Uh, I was very comfortable working for someone else. But when, when Jeff and I started Miller Wishing Grad, um, the first, I think, four or five years were some of the most profitable. Yeah, golden age. We were, it was the age, and we didn't know if any of our clients would follow us. We really didn't. When we thought we'd just try it, uh, we were actually interviewing at some of our competitors, and uh, um, then one day we just, we just said, well, a lot of my clients know you. You know my clients. Let's just try to go up the street, hang a shingle, and we did, and it worked. 
And it worked so well that literally for the first two years, we didn't go home. I mean, we didn't go home until 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock every single night. And uh, we were so busy, it was hard to hire people you really knew. So we were training some young people. But those first two or three years, I mean, it was just crazy. And 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 I'm talking, I, I, didn't, I don't think I took a vacation in the first four or five years. Well, wow. I mean, it was just campaign back to back. It was wonderful. It was just really wrong. And we were working with wonderful people and Yes, so those those were highly, highly profitable. And we were working on cams that we leased and then bought, but the overhead was very low, very, very low. We were in very small garden suites and, and behind the athletic club in Hollywood. Kind of a cool, smart, wonderful thing, but we kept our overhead very low. Um, the more the, the bigger we grew, the more editors we had, the more... Yeah. Then, but we got to go home sometimes at five or six o'clock. <laughs> Just nice. So that yeah. was that was kind of nice, and then and then it kind of evened off. But I, honestly, we've been very very profitable. I think our toughest years have been just lately, yeah. um, and in the last three years, agencies have been really been hit hard, and they've been consolidating and and bringing things in house. Yes, and and as you can tell, we're we're now. This is the first time you've been here, but we're now in a new environment. We were we were in. Hollywood for 20 years. We were in Santa Monica on 4th Street in a beautiful location for 17 years. And now we're here in another beautiful location. But we've re- we, we have reduced our overhead by almost 40, 45%. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and we haven't given up anything creatively. Yeah. We're, you, this is a beautiful place. And that's what you have to do um, to survive. And so we're, 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 uh, these, are, these last three years are tougher years. To, and they're tougher to make to make money because some of the bread and butter accounts that we've had, um, you know, I, I, I no longer do um, uh, some of the some of the fast food. You know, Carl's Jr. has pretty much gone away. Uh, the agency that uh, we worked with is just, was just literally three day, doors down for Jack in the Box, and uh, they no longer have Jack in the Box, and they're the oh, ones wow. who came up with the idea for Jack in the Box. I mean, wow. Jack was a minute. So everything's changing. So, um, yeah, we have to, we, we're now into the, and that's why we've moved more to the content also, is we want to help with the ideas. We, we actually want to be a one-stop shop, uh, as, not for everything. I still love working with Honda. I still, uh, still working, love working with any national campaign. I've been able to, um, um, I'm, I'm working on one, something right now with NASCAR, and I, I love it. It doesn't have to happen to be a, a, a huge budget. I love every second of it. I mean, fast cars, <laughs> yeah. the visuals, and, and, and the post production. Are you are you doing? I actually, uh, I actually, last year I actually uh, directed like four or five shots. We 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 did some pickup shots, um, and but this one they're they're using all the footage from the race. But nice. it's a local race. It's NASCAR's, you know, the national. But this is the local race out here at the uh, AAA Speedway. So, um, but I love every minute of it because it's you know sheet metal. Um, <laughs> and and it's a good concept, and the agency census that I work with are great people, and they have some great ideas. Um, so, but it, it also it gives me the opportunity to work with uh, with different people in different ways, and that's what. Uh, but I'm just a storyteller. I just want to tell a story in a creative way and help them sell a product with it. I, that's basically what I do. So, what sorts of things have you done uh, during your career to prepare for some of the feast or famine aspects, right? So, so you, you're making a ton of money back in the early '90s, 
uh, and then that starts to maybe slow down a little bit. Maybe some years are great. Some years aren't so great. Uh, what sorts of other uh, revenue building avenues have you focused on? It's very important to keep your overhead low. And when you look at your overhead and, and you uh, are not uh, living within that, you have to make those adjustments. And that's what, that's what survival is. Um, and you have to make, the, and some, some of those decisions are hard. They're not always easy. It's nice to have a penthouse fourth floor office. And we were lucky to do that for 17 years. Looking back, we would have been smarter to buy a building just up the street that was under, that was 1.6 million and we would have had it paid off. And that building is worth about $11 million today. Now, yeah. yeah. So looking back, that would have been smarter. I didn't. $1.6 million price tag today seems daunting. Oh, seems, yeah. yeah, no, but yeah. looking back, it, you know, I mean, you could have paid it off, you know, six times. Yeah. Um, whoever thought that, you know, real estate in Santa, Santa Monica, Monica would do that? I mean, or even Venice. Venice. At the time, Venice was a steal. Yeah. And we could have gone down to Venice and bought um, uh, something for six or 700000 Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, you would be worried, uh, back then you would be worried for your client's cars. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You know, that they would be. But now the building would be worth $5 million, $6 would, million. Yeah. You know, we would be rich in other ways. And, yeah. And, you know, but. So you have to, you have to be very hard and, and try to live within your means, but also look for opportunities. And, um, you know, I've got some regrets, you know, not, not, not doing more of that. But I didn't, I didn't really think we would be in Santa Monica that long. We, it, the ad business was Hollywood-based and was always Hollywood-based. I thought we would be here two years and then go back to Hollywood. So hmm. that was my naivete and wrong. That was wrong, 100% wrong. I should have said, hey, I'm in Santa Monica. I'm going to be here for the next 30 I'm years. In, so I'm, I'm in Santa Monica. I, sh- I should, yeah. And, uh, and uh, my partner was very smart. He moved his family here, but uh, that's another story. Because <laughs> you still commute. <laughs> I still commute. Oh, man. Still commute. That's brutal. That brutal Los Angeles commute. Now, Santa, you can't even say Los Angeles commute. You've got to say Santa Monica commute. Because right. getting to L.A. probably only takes you 30 minutes, but getting to Santa Monica takes probably takes you two hours. It takes an hour to get to yeah. the 405 yeah. sometimes. And it's only 17 blocks away. So. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, <sighs> it's crazy. Yeah. So, so, but speaking of real estate, that's something that uh, I think er- earlier on in your career, you started to buy rental properties or how did I, that work out I've for always you? loved real estate. I, I actually, even before I got married, I told someone that I love real estate and the idea and I would rather have my money into a home than, um, than the bank. And so I actually, in, while I was in college, I, I, uh, with three other people, I bought a rental property just as an experience, mm-hmm. uh, experiment. And what year is this? Do you remember? That was probably 77 or seven. No, it's probably 79. Okay. 79 or, or right before 80. Yeah, probably 79. And um, it was probably the uh, economically at the time, it was a bad, it was a bad deal. Um, it turned bad. It was not a positive cash flow. And the person we bought it with turned out to not to manage it correctly. And it went in foreclosure without telling us. And we almost lost it. Wow. All bad things. They all turned good because I was the only one who found out that it wasn't foreclosure. The other partners freaked out. Eventually, they sold to me. At the time, I didn't, I couldn't afford to buy them out, but found a way. And that bad investment turned good about seven years later. That means even cash flow, and now is is hopefully going to be part of my retirement. So, are you still on that building? Still on that building. Is it fourplex or a threeplex? It's yeah. uh, well, that um, four unit. Four it's unit. A, it's a home in front. It's a duplex, and then it has a duplex behind. Wow. And um, 
it's just, uh, yeah, I wish I'd bought 10 of them. Like yeah. No, I think, uh, you kind of breezed right over it, but the thing that I took from that is you took a bad thing and you figured out how to make it a good thing. Yes. Uh, well, I'm a long-term holder on real estate. Cause I feel like most people will look at that situation and say, what bad luck. And they would get out and they would kind of yes. fold their cards over and As say, the okay. the three partners did. Right. Had they stayed in, they would have been smiling. No, that's right. Um, that's right. Uh, and actually, uh, with real estate, not only, um, well, late, later, uh, the, the reason I really jumped into real estate is because I was working for um, um, this company, um, and they had no with overtime, gym, yeah. no benefits. Mm. I actually was being paid permalance. I didn't even know what that meant, but, but that means you don't get benefits. So I realized, and I had now been married for a couple of years, and I, and I came home, and I said, hey, Shauna, you know, if we're going to have a retirement ever in our life in this industry, we're going to have to figure it out ourselves. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to have a 401k. Let's, let's find a way. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, real estate. And she said, okay. And, and I got a couple of books. One of them said, um, but it was because it was the negative. It was like, we're not going to take care of you. You have to take care of you. And so I, I just accepted the responsibility. It's like, so, so she got me a book. I told her about this one book I wanted. She went out and bought it. She read it first, gave it to me. And uh, a year later, my accountant, and I had put this out to anybody, if you find me a deal, like if you find me a foreclosure and you don't want it, it's, if it's that good, I'll give you a finder's fee. And my accountant, we were sitting there doing my taxes. He said, is this offer still good? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I found a home in DeWarty. It's foreclosed. I was going to buy it with my partner. He fell out. I don't want it. If you give me a thousand dollars, it's yours. And I go, okay. And so I did. And 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 did you have the money? Did you what did you do? Like a down payment on this thing, or how did you how did you get thousand dollars to him? And it was foreclosure. I think it picked it up for maybe another thousand dollars to the bank as as a back one back payment or two or three back payments. Yeah. No, three or four months back payments. But literally, I think I think all in it was like two or three thousand dollars, and I, I had assumed the loan. Yeah. Back then, the, the the banks just wanted to get rid of it. So I had assumed the loan from the bank and uh, three bedroom, two bath home. And I thought, okay, great. Now we're going to go live there. And my wife, go, you know, my wife says, no, we're living in a one bedroom home, 600 square feet. And I said, you don't want to go live in this nice home. She goes, no, let's rent that out. Let's do what you're talking about. And I go, oh, wow. She really understands the concept. And wow. I, th- I said, great. In two years, we'll move. We didn't move for another four or five years. Wow. And you're having kids in the meantime? Uh, that's what... Chart when when Shana finally was expecting Hillary, yeah. that's when we that's that motivated our next move. So um, no, so it was a, it was a perfect time. But again, the 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 problem of we're not taking care of you. How are you going to take care of yourself? Finding finding and 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 I was so naive. I read the book and it said buy ten rental units, pay them off in thirty years, and you'll have ten in thirty years. You'll have ten units that'll give you income. And, and that basic thing is like, okay. So I just, I was dumb enough to just do it. And I didn't buy it all, all smart. It was just like, okay, if they're, they're not cash positive, maybe they will be in three or four years. All that stuff we figured out later. But I really wish I'd read a book that said buy a hundred of them. Because I was dumb enough to do it. To do it. I would have done a hundred. <laughs> and now I look at all the little ones that I, I didn't get. That you passed on. That yeah. I passed on. Is every single one of those would have been good. I mean, it was a time. Uh-huh. Anything. It, 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 you know, you, you say dumb luck. You can't, you can't predict it. No, all the time. Yeah. no. And right now, looking where real estate is right now, I can't ever tell you that it'll do it again. I really can't. Yeah. Um, 
I, I would hate for someone to listen to me and say, oh, I'm going to go buy 10 units. And then the market right now falls out in three years uh-huh. and you lose nine of them. I mean, yeah. but again, I don't know. I, don't, I just can't, I can't believe what, what real estate is right now. So we are in Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. But, 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 um, and I've made a lot of mistakes in real estate. I, you know, it, it, ones that we've learned from. And now um, I'm actually into, because I, I would only put in enough money in to keep them okay. Mm-hmm. And now because of the way the market is, I'm actually taking, anytime someone moves out, I'm pouring money into it raising it up to the nicest level that I can. And what it's attracting are the nicest, most responsible renters who yeah, would be owning a home. premium prices, too. At premium prices, who would be owning a home, they just don't have the down payment. And uh-huh. that's the only difference. But they're paying, they're paying a mortgage payment for mm-hmm. a rental. And, and I'm happy, they're happy, and, and, and I like that. Um, sometimes when you have, you know, the... the you know, you, you bought it on a deal and you, you don't have a whole lot of money. You've got a renter who's, who's just barely paying the rent. Things aren't up to speed. No one's happy. They're not happy. You're not happy. And so it's great to get properties, you know, that are nice and they're happy. And it's got air conditioning and the windows are good. And so eventually that's my, my, my goal now is to get everything up to market value so that, so that uh, I attract uh, renters who are happy to pay market value. And you're coming up on probably... Thirty-year uh, mortgages, or actually, pretty, um, pretty soon here because on some of, of the them, way yeah. the market went. Um, uh, two of the pro- I did buy ten units, and 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 half of those paid themselves off in twenty years. Okay, so so rather than taking the cash flow, you put it I right never, back into the property. I never, I never took the cash. I never because you were working. I was working, so we we just reinvested the money back. So, into. I, I mean, that takes a disciplined. It does. Person. So, it does. so, my so friends, yeah. <laughs> the first five years, I remember my friends coming and they, you know, they were driving all the new Hondas and all the new Toyotas and the, the good new, and they would say, why are you driving such a, you know, your car, your truck, your Toyota truck's 10 years old. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And I go, I love my truck. It's paid off. And every money I have, I put into something else that, that eventually, and, uh, it was, you know, I, 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 I was not the frugal one. You know, they, they would just call me cheap. I mean, they just went right to it. Frugal was not a use. They, they, and I was cheap. I mean, I was cheap. I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of money on anything. Why? Um, I, I, just, I just saw more value in investing money into something later that would, would take care of me. So why didn't you invest in the stock market like a normal person? I did. I did, actually did okay. uh, a couple times um, when, when, uh, when I'd have a good year. And uh, I, I, uh, at that time, I got burned by it. Yeah. Um, I was on vacation. The market dropped. Like fifteen points, they called it a Black Monday or something. Uh-huh. I can't remember. It was eighty three or something like and that, and it ruined my vacation. Yeah, I hadn't been on vacation in like six years. <laughs> I'm on vacation, and now I can't enjoy it because I think I'm broke. Yeah, so I, I don't have the stomach for the market as much. I mean, I do. NWP does have a four hundred one k for employees, and now oh, I, I now yeah. I, I do have all the things that we didn't have. And the reason we have those four employees though is because I didn't before. I worked at a and company. You, and you we, we personally wanted to give something to your Jeff employees? Jeff and I felt, you? you know, Jeff worked there too. And mm-hmm. it was like, no, we're going to try to take care of, of our employees in a different way than we were used to. Now, that's not to single out who we were, we were working for at the time. Nobody did it at, at that way, unless they were a big company. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't to say that we were working for people who didn't. I mean, that, that, that it just wasn't the norm. If they could get away with it, why, why would you pay... You know any of those taxes for payroll taxes? Why would you pay tax? 
Yeah. <laughs> crazy? You yeah. take that money and put it somewhere else. So I'm not yeah. saying, you know, they, they, it wasn't that they were doing it on purpose. It's just that nobody did it yeah. as much. Yeah. And, and well, it's great that the climate's changed a little bit. It guess, has. Yeah. It has. And, and, and so those, those things are in stocks. And, and yet, but I, I let someone else manage it. And we don't, mm-hmm. I don't sit there and day trade. I don't yeah. have the stomach for that. I don't either. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, uh, I personally think, and I'm going to project a little bit on you, but I think that you were interested in real estate because it was something that you had more control of. Total control to Total the point control. where I bought one property out of state and that property went bad on me hmm. and I bought it with a family member and that went bad. And so I was advised never to have something property in that you couldn't drive by at night and check and tuck it in. And, 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 uh, opportunities have come up that way. And I, I have, I, I, I no longer buy any money that I can't control or property that I can't control. I like to be close by, and and I advise I advise people not to. I I had a niece who rented a little place, and she went out of country. And two months later, she's calling me, and she says, "I have renters who aren't paying." And it's like it's tough to evict when you're not even there, mm-hmm. and it's just tough, tough. My dad did that a couple of times, and that's why he did not like real estate as much as I did. And you you do your own property management. We do, which for, I think is rare for it is yeah. it is, and I don't know if I'll always do it, but because mm-hmm. um, eventually I would. My wife right now says, "When are we going to enjoy <laughs> some of these, some of the uh, fruits, fruits of, our of labor. your labor, your thirty year labor?" And I and I I actually um, I'm going to start listening to her more. <laughs> And I don't mind. Smart man. But, but I'm lucky to have had a daughter and a, and a son-in-law to have had a little property management experience. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can kind of keep that in the family a little bit because I, I'll, feel, I'll feel better about pay, paying a manager who feels about the property almost as much as I do yeah. rather than looking at it as though it's just a business. So um, I'm going to try to do that. But um, it's interesting that uh, even with the heyday and everything, I, that, that the investments in real estate have been almost equal to what, 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 yeah. What, what, we, what MWP's uh, done. Yeah, yeah my, what I've done on, on other sides. That being said, I probably, had I stayed a DJ and, and stayed working the weddings all these years, yeah. I probably would have made more money. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> I would have had... 50 DJs working under me or something. Sure. I never thought that yeah. business would take off. I mean, my gosh. It, even even the video part of it. Oh, who, yeah. Who would have thought someone would pay $10,000 for, for a, video? a wedding video? Nev- never. Yeah. Never. So that would have been part of it. We would have done, you know. The we, whole thing. The, 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 the photography the, and video and, and DJing. The food. And the food. And the, and and the, the chairs and the tables <laughs> and the whole nine. So that being said, it's like, it's like and, that's, and that's the thing is that I knew when I first started in the business, I started at the lowest. I, you know, I, 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 I worked for free to get the opportunity, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. Uh, I think people, you know, think it's beneath them, but it shouldn't be. If if you really, really, really want something, you'll find a way to do it, or you'll find an excuse not to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you're finding excuses, I don't think you really want it enough. Or it's just not the right. It's just it's, it's not right for yeah. you. So, so. Um, I, I just I just do uh, believe that that it'll happen for you if if you if you really want uh, enough and you'll find a way you'll find a way. Do you consider yourself a lucky person? Very lucky. And the harder I work, the luckier I get. Well, there you have it. Thanks again so much for listening, you guys. I really hope you get value from the podcast. And in, in the infancy stages, I uh, am asking, please uh, share. 
share the podcast. Let's let's find the community and let's uh, try and reach out and just help some people understand a little bit more uh, of the financials from the creative space. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, Apple or Google or Spotify. And uh, if, if you can, uh, leave a rating and let's uh, let's talk to our friends about it. Hmm? Let's get this thing going. I'm super down for that. Have a good one.